Welcome. This episode is a live recording of a session from Storytelling Podcast Week's live program. You can check out the full schedule at podcastweek.live slash storytelling. That's podcastweek.live slash storytelling. And follow the channel here to replay all of our live stream program and special episodes, exclusive episodes, and favorites here on the Storytelling Podcast Week channel. Storytelling Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetization platform and also the home of Podbean Live, where podcasts come to life. You can start your own live stream on Podbean Live and for hosting, use the code STORY for your first 30 days free. Enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to Storytelling Podcast Week and our third session of the day, Queer as Fact Live with Alice McInnes, Jason Best, and Irene McInnes. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Storytelling Podcast Week is a week of live stream sessions like this one with narrative nonfiction podcasters, audio drama, and fiction podcasters from across our world and our imaginations. If you have a chance, check out the recorded episode showcase featuring some exclusive and favorite episodes on the Storytelling Podcast Week channel from many of the podcasters participating, including Queer's Fact. You can also replay any of the live streams from the week on the Storytelling Podcast Week channel. So make sure to download the Podbean app and follow the Storytelling Podcast Week channel to receive notifications in real time about all of the live streams and specially released episodes of the week. Storytelling Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience with Podbean Live, where podcasts come to life. For everyone listening, you can start your own live stream for free on Podbean. And to get your first 30 days of hosting for free, use the code STORY. And now we'll hand it off to the team behind Queer as Fact, Alice, Jason, and Irene. Hello and welcome. Thank you very much, Norma, and thank you, Podbean, for having us today. Um, let's quickly get us all to say hi so you recognize our voices. I'm Alice. Hello, I'm Irene. Um, people have a lot of trouble distinguishing you and me, Alice, so it might be a lost <laughs> cause. Our little green circles will light up around our faces today. So this time for once I'll know who's who. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, I don't think anyone will have any trouble distinguishing me. I'm Jason. <laughs> hi, everyone. Thank you all for tuning in today. I'm not going to lie. We were sitting there going, will anyone log in? Will 100 people log in? And 25 people looks like what we've got. And I'm very happy to have you all here. Um, before we do anything else, I just want to acknowledge it's I'm... Now. Oh, very exciting. It's going up. <laughs> I just want to acknowledge <laughs> that me and Jason are calling in today from the lands of the Wurundjeri Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation and to pay my respects to their elders past and present. And Irene, I believe you're calling in from the lands of the Bunurang people of the Kulin Nation. And I'd like that to pay is my correct. respects to them as well. Um, so what we've got planned for you today is a Q&A. We're going to be chatting about what happens behind the scenes at Queer as Fact, how we do our queer history research, what our thoughts are about the state of queer academia, and anything else you want to ask us. Um, We've got some questions ready already that we called in from our social media and our Patreon. If you're interested, we're Queer as Fact on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook, and we're also Queer as Fact on Patreon. So those people have sent us in some questions already. So we'll make a start with those, and then if you guys in the chat have any questions or want to know anything, just type it in there and we'll get to those ones as they pop up. 
So I'm going to jump straight into it and start off with our first question. Let me have a look at the list and choose something fun. <laughs> um, okay, look, I like this one. I think it's a fun one to start off with and hopefully it won't keep us talking for a whole hour because I think we could get pretty in-depth with this. But um, our patron Matilda Karlstrom has asked us, if you had to create a D&D character based on someone you've talked about on the podcast, who would you pick, why, and what class would they be? I'm going to get you to start that, Jason, because I know you have strong feelings <laughs> about D&D. <laughs> this is such I, a good question, though. <laughs> it is. I love it so much. Um, I do have strong feelings about d and I, I had not thought about who I would pick, though. Um, off the top of my head. Um, ooh. Hmm. I mean, if you've got an answer. <laughs> I, okay. I, I think, I, think um, I would go with, yeah. Well, this is actually a little bit easier for me in terms of like uh, characters that could easily be D&D classes uh, because um, for those who don't know, I do our Queer as Fiction episodes uh, along with Eli, who unfortunately isn't with us today. Um, and so I'm spending a lot more time talking about fiction where characters do things that are more readily applicable to Dungeons & Dragons characters. Uh, so I think, <laughs> I, I think I'm going to go with um, like basically either of the main characters from The Handmaiden, um, who are just very, very archetypal rogues. Um, <laughs> in in Dungeons and Dragons terms, uh, with the kind of thievery and trickery and backstabbing um, that they do, so yeah, I, th- I think that would be my answer. I think um, it's good that we have an answer that is, you know, we've got queer people out there being rogues and doing thievery and trickery, and mm. it's nice that you've got an answer that is queer people doing fun action D and D style things. So I like it. Um, what would your answer be, Alice? Um, so I did think about this beforehand <laughs> and my answer is I think I would choose Stormy Delavier, who was a drag king and a bouncer um, and an activist in America in the 20th century. Um, oh, yeah, and she walked around with a gun, right? Yeah, yeah. So she had a pistol, and up until she was in her 80s or maybe even 90s, she was definitely very old, she was working as a bouncer at lesbian bars in New York, and I think that's very cool. I think that would be a lot of fun as well. She sounds like a very interesting and very, very exciting person. Um, look, I'm not up on D&D. I don't know what classes are, but she was a <laughs> drag king and a performer, so I'm going to say a bard. <laughs> <laughs> Bard with a gun. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> what about you, Irene? Do you have an answer? Oh, um, I have to think for one second. I actually kind of want to answer the episode that I'm researching right now. Oh, yeah, Ooh, that's exciting. I don't even know what you're working on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. You do, you do. It's true. It was my poll episode. I'm working on an oh, episode and I apologize to everyone for my Spanish because I haven't got to the part in the research where I check how to pronounce everyone's names yet. <laughs> I'm, sure I'll um, I'm working on an episode on Juana Inez de la Cruz, who was 
a nun in Mexico, and also basically just an all-around genius. Like, you know those Renaissance polymath men you read about in Italy? It's nice to know that that's not just for men. No, it's also for Mexican women. Like, she writes poetry, she writes philosophy treatises, she writes all kinds of things. And every time you read about something, you're like, wait, you can do this too, Juana? (laughs) Anyway, I'd like to play her, and I'd like her to be a wizard. Sounds good. Sounds good. I think we're going to have a great D&D campaign. It's going to be a good time. Very good. All right. So do we want to move on to another question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me have a look. There was one that I really liked before. Um, Oh, yeah. I quite liked this one. so we've got two questions here that I feel are like basically the same, um, but I'm particularly interested in uh, the first one. So um, one of them's from uh, Twitter user Morrigan Jenkins, um, and very very similar question uh, from Tumblr user The Aliens Believe in You Too, um, which is a delightful username. Um, <laughs> I was about to say that. Um, so the question was what was the factoid that surprised you most during these hundred episodes we we recently uh not that recently now i guess um reached the hundred episode milestone of queer as fact um and yeah i i just i find that an interesting question what was the factoid that surprised you the most uh alice or irene whichever one of you wants to jump in first I think there's two ways I can answer this question. And one would be, you know, I could give you a very silly fact that, you know, we, we learn some ridiculous things. People throughout history have done some ridiculous things. The one that springs to mind, and this is probably not an outstanding human activity, but it just made me laugh a lot when it happened, was uh, the trans jazz performer Billy Tipton, who seduced a woman by commissioning a painting of her lying nude on a beach with a very... Uh, suggestive erupting volcano in the background behind her <laughs> and just discovering that you know throughout history this this was in the early mid 20th century i believe throughout history people have been doing these really ridiculous over-the-top things i love learning about those <laughs> but i could also give a more serious answer which is that it's been really lovely and surprising in a lot of periods throughout history to learn about the queer communities that existed. And I think almost no matter when, what time period we've looked into, we've always found that queer people weren't just living by themselves, having these miserable lives where they were internalising all this stuff. A lot of them were finding queer communities and connecting with other queer people and having these really great lives. Um, The example I'm thinking of, is an episode Irene did on the, um, what are they called, the Golden Orchid Societies in China where women and people assigned female at birth who didn't want to marry in a traditional sense to a man and live together and everything were able to form these societies where they lived with each other and really dedicated themselves to other women and spent their lives together instead and discovering that, you know, at different points in history, these things have just been able to happen and been quite accepted by their societies has been very surprising and very lovely. I was honestly, I was honestly going to say about the same thing, not exactly the same thing, but yeah, what's surprised me over the last hundred and something episodes now is 
yeah, just the fact, like the the scale of kind of acceptance and ability for queer people to. Oh, we've lost you, Irene. You've disappeared. Oh, no. <laughs> well, while we're waiting for now? Irene to hopefully. Oh, oh, yeah, yep, she's back. back. Right, sorry, no, it was my <laughs> Wi Fi dropping out. I've switched over to data, it's fine. Good call. <laughs> All right. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, just the sort of scope of possibility for queer people throughout history to just like live their daily lives as queer people. Like I've covered mm. a surprising number of just queer lesbians who just got <laughs> married to another woman in every meaningful sense and just lived with her for their life. Yeah, we love the queer lesbian episodes. Very uplifting. Yeah, that makes me very happy. Um the other yeah. cool factoid that has surprised me is whoever knew that having a pet monkey was queer culture? <laughs> <laughs> I don't oh. think the monkey surprised me anymore. If I come across a queer women, woman and then she gets a pet monkey, I'm just like, oh, yeah, like it's bound to happen. If you're a queer woman listening, you don't have a pet monkey yet. Like what are you doing, honestly? <laughs> <laughs> it's coming for you, Alice. When are you getting a monkey? <laughs> yeah, I don't have one, I'm afraid. Oh it. my god. Follow the wall, guys. Look after your pets. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um I think uh from my perspective, uh I'm not gonna go with a specific factoid, but certainly the episode where Eli came to me and was like, Okay, so today we're talking about this and I was like, What? Was the Epic of Gilgamesh? <laughs> um because, uh, you know, unlike the other three podcast hosts uh, on this podcast, uh, I didn't study history or classics. And so my understanding of the ancient world was very uh, based on, you know, what you learn in high school, which is very straight washed, I would say. Um, <laughs> and uh, but, yeah, to find out that, you know, not only was the ancient era very gay, but also specifically the Epic of Gilgamesh, one of the oldest pieces of media that we have in human history, is so gay, was just, like, the most delightful thing that I've ever learned. Um, so, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's definitely the one that surprised me the most. I forget sometimes, because we all have history backgrounds, but sometimes we're bringing you information that you've just never even thought about before, and that's exciting. Yeah. I think yeah. I think that you and Eli also do this to me, Alice, because you <laughs> both have, like, that. extensively got into the ancient world, and you're like, oh, so you know Thebes? And I'm like, kind of. <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> I was doing that in our last episode on Sacred Band of Thebes when Eli was saying all these things. With, oh, you know, these guys were Hophites, and this guy was from Macedonia. I was uh, deliberately peppering, where's Macedonia, Eli? What's a hop? For <laughs> 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 the benefit of you, Irene, and our audience. <laughs> I do I know, is. one, where Macedonia is. It's still a country that exists today. And it two, is. I've played enough Age of Empires to recognise <laughs> a hoplite. Well, I have a history degree, but I'm not going to lie, a lot of my knowledge comes from Age of Empires. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. I mean, to be, to be oh. honest, at this point, I feel like I've learnt more researching the podcast than from my history degree. Look, I've been I doing this say, longer than I was studying for, right? That's true. I think I could say the same. And I think it's also encouraged me to do more 
I don't want to say more rigorous history because I don't want to say I was doing, you know, some really lazy work in undergrad, although there were moments when that happened. But <laughs> I think it's encouraged me to go more in depth, like really go more back to primary sources and go, where are people getting these ideas? Because scholarship about queer people can be so flawed. And mm, um, yeah. I'd also say that because we've been doing this podcast for so long and we've been reading about queer history for, oh, how many years is it now? Four years or something? Um, I've got a lot more breadth and context, not just on, you know, facts that happen in history, but also on the scholarship and the kind of ideas that come up again and again in the scholarship. And now we're really able to cross-reference between episodes and kind of connect different ideas different scholars are having, which you really have to be working on a piece of history, an era or a theme or something for a long time before you're able to do that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. The, that cross-referencing and the way that um, the episodes that we have are able to build on the previous episodes that we've done is, like, a really important thing, I find. Um, yeah. It makes me feel like we are improving as a podcast as we go along, which is nice. Um, it's always nice to be getting better. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely think that we are. Like, when I think of, like, the level of analysis and research that we did in the earlier episodes compared to now... Sometimes yeah, I tell yeah. my friends about the podcast and they start from episode one and I'm like, I mean, that's fine. No, no, you can no. do that. But <laughs> <laughs> please note, come back. I'm going to read out a question which follows on this theme because I think um, we're talking about it already. Before you All do, right. Alice, yeah. um, I just want to say for anyone who's joined uh, over the past 20 minutes since we started, um, just want to say if you want to submit your own questions in the chat, please feel free to do so. We will answer them. Um, we're pulling questions currently from our social media and from our Patreon, but uh, we are absolutely happy to answer, answer any questions that you have in the chat. Thank you for that, chat, Jason. And also for those of you who have wandered in in the last 20 minutes, we're Queer as Fact, we're a queer history podcast, and we're answering questions about what we do. Um, mm. I was going to read out a different question, but Norma's put one in here, and I think we want to focus on the chat because you've all been nice enough to uh, log on today. So Norma's asked, what have been your favourite episodes to create? I have an answer to that straight away. Nice. My very, my very favourite episode was Lesbia Harford. Oh, yeah, that was a good um, time. <laughs> and Lesbia Harford, whose name is, like, shockingly prophetic, I, she was a poet. Really? She was a poet who lived in Melbourne. Should she not really be called bisexualia, Harford? I guess so. But historically, lesbian <laughs> has often been used for women who are attracted to other women, regardless of whether it's a multi-gender attraction or not. That's true. That's true. Um, anyway, the story behind this episode is one day I went to my mother's local library with her, like a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> and on their like new books display shelf was this book that was like the poetry of Lesbia Harford. And I was like, Lesbia Harford, there's no way that that couldn't be queer. <laughs> <laughs> and so I picked up the book and it turned out that not only was she queer, but she lived literally on our tram line. And wrote poems about it. That was the lovely part. And she wrote poems about it. Her poetry about, even though she lived 100 years ago, like we were reading her poetry about experiences that we have like so specifically in the same places doing the same things as she had. That was really cool. Yeah, it was very cool. 
yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I think as Australians, so Lesbia Harford was obviously Australian. I think as Australians, probably Americans, at least from big cities, don't experience this as much, which I think is what a lot of audience have of our audience is we're pretty desperate for content that's about us and places we know we just don't get that very much at all in our lives so every time we get to talk about an australian we can recognize places they've been it's very exciting for us yeah yeah there's not a lot of content about uh urban australia there's a lot of content that (laughs) talks about australia like it's one big desert which, you know, even the rural parts of Australia are not one big desert, in fact. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think my answer to this question, I also have an answer straight away to this question, which is definitely the episode I did on Wonder Woman um, mm-hmm. and specifically the, like, history of Wonder Woman's creation, like the original comics in the uh, early 40s. Um, I had watched a video, like, years and years ago now, before this podcast existed, um, that sort of just, you know, casually offhandedly mentioned that the creator of Wonder Woman was in a queer polyamorous triad <laughs> and, you know, all of this stuff about, like, this weird guy who ended up creating Wonder Woman. And I was like, you know, that's really weird. And then didn't think about it again for, like, several years and then was thinking about what to do for the podcast and... Uh, yeah, ended up uh, like finding a book that was written by someone I follow on Twitter, read that entire book and was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And, you know, just had an absolute blast researching that episode. And <laughs> it, yeah, like I think was definitely, it's definitely the episode I'm proudest of, I think, of the ones that I've published uh, so far. I do want to mention that when Jason was doing that episode, they were really in the zone. They sat down one evening to do the episode I woke up in the morning, came into the lounge room. They were still sitting there at the table doing the episode. I'm pretty sure they slept in the middle. And it was, I reckon it was about <laughs> 24 hours from start to finish. And then we sat down and recorded. It was uh, obviously really, really captured. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was during lockdown as well where our, everything had been thrown off and we were just churning out episodes as fast as we could because they kept having to get cancelled. Yeah, and we and we couldn't yeah. unfortunately record with Irene at that time. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, the no. cancel her episode. <laughs> I remember I remember that. I remember listening to that episode like in bed at night being like, Oh, it's like my friends are here. Because <laughs> we were in lockdown and I couldn't visit you. That's so sad. But on that note, I do wanna say I guess to the people who are listening today, one of the things I love about this podcast and feedback that I love when we receive from people is when they give us reviews or emails, whatever, that says, like, listening to your podcast feels like I'm hanging out with my friends. I'm, you're having that experience, Irene, that a lot of our listeners have and that I'm so glad <laughs> yeah, it's we can true. provide for anyone who doesn't have queer friends to hang out with right now for whatever reason. Mm. It's very good. Um, I think it's my turn to answer what my favourite episode would be. Yeah. And um, I think my answer is my favourite episode is always pretty much either the episode I'm working on or one of the recent episodes I've put out. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, settle on a favourite. Um, so probably my favourite one that I've done recently is our episode on Simon Cody, who was a South African anti-apartheid and um, gay rights and AIDS activist. And 
I think the reason I like this episode and the reason so many of my favorite episodes appeal to me is because I don't know anything about South Africa. Never heard of Simon Cordy before one of our listeners said, hey, you should check this guy out. And I really like when I get to do episodes that are maybe about a part of the world or a community or a subculture or a sexuality or a gender or something that I've just never heard of before. And I get to discover like a whole new world of queer people and queer stories. And every time I do one of those episodes, like the episode on Simon Cody, I end up finding like 12 other episodes. And I'm like, oh, my God, you could do a whole podcast, like a whole podcast series that's just about the gay rights movement in South Africa, for example. And, yeah, it's very exciting to just realize how many queer stories there are in the world and queer people all over the world. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, Irene, we haven't let you pick a question yet because I jumped in rudely. So what would you, <laughs> you like to You never got to say your today? question and now I'm curious. Oh, my question I was going to read before was from Hanya Writes Things on Tumblr and her, sorry, that was me assuming. Their question was, did the format or concept of the podcast change from when you first came up with it? I think... Like, the format has been the same. The only thing mm. that's happened to us is that it gets longer every time. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I remember when we first began and we were kind of chatting about how we wanted to do a podcast and what it might look like. And Irene in particular, I remember saying, look, I just don't think people have a long attention span. I don't listen to long podcasts. I think people like short stuff. And, you know, I think we should keep it very short. And we convinced Irene that uh, we should have episodes between 40 minutes and an hour, that that was a reasonable length. Sometimes now we're bringing out episodes that are 90 minutes long. Sometimes they're three hours and we have to split them in half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, this is very much what happened. I was like, I listen to podcasts at work, but I don't listen to anything that's over 35 minutes. Well, thousands of people do. <laughs> thousands of people do, it's true. Um. <laughs> it gets longer, does it get thicker too? I mean, I think that question was tongue in cheek, but like, yes. And by that, I mean, we don't write. <laughs> we don't write notes or scripts that are any longer than we used to. A lot of the time, like the amount of notes I go in with is the same amount the same amount of notes I used to go in with for like a 45 minute podcast that now turns out a 90 minute podcast. And I think the reason for that is what we were saying before is we we're much more, much deeper into queer scholarship. Now we have a lot more to say about what we're learning and what we're reading. So yeah, it becomes denser, thicker, if you want, (laughs) because we're having more in depth and more complex discussions about queer history and queer identity and queer experience, which wasn't something we had the capacity to do back in the day because we hadn't learned all that background and didn't have all those different things to draw on yet. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. We've got another question in the chat um, which says, what's an unanswered question about a historical figure you wish you could time travel to find the answer to? <laughs> Emily's not the first person to ask us that question. I have a very similar question in our list from social media. So people are obviously keen to know. it's a hard one because there are so many unanswered questions and so many episodes where we end up just kind of going what happened i don't know we'll never know (laughs) (laughs) i always remember that episode eli did on horace walpole where like 
He kept putting off the episode being like, guys, I'm still researching. I'm still figuring this out. And then by the time we got to the episode, he was like, the one thing I can confirm is that he went on this trip to Italy with his friends. (laughs) (laughs) If all you remember for is your gay holiday to Italy, you've done okay. He also built a very goth house. Yeah, he's actually going to have a cameo in our upcoming episode on Hayden and Antinous. So that's exciting. Oh, really? uh, <laughs> on that note, I think my answer, once again, I just go with like what I'm dealing with right now. I'm obviously a person with like a long memory. Um, I'm researching Hadrian, the Roman emperor, and his lover Antinous at the moment. And for those of you who don't know, Antinous died quite young and quite mysteriously by drowning in the Nile. And people for thousands of years have been coming up with all kinds of theories about how and why he died. One scholar went so far as to suggest that he never existed in the first place, which is, you know, always fun. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I'd just like to head back to ancient Rome and uh, be on that barge in the Nile and find out what went on. If you were on that barge in the Nile, though, don't lie, you would grab him before he fell in. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'd change the course of queer history. I'd pull Antinous out of the river. <laughs> um, Alice, just so you know, you're getting a little bit of, uh, like, static or, um, I don't know. When oh, you, I, yeah, might, yeah, be, yeah. might be that you're speaking a little loudly. I'm not sure. Okay, uh, I'll move my microphone further away from my face. Yeah. Um. I don't really have a great answer to this question, mostly because uh, I have a lot of questions about history, but most of them probably have answers. Uh, <laughs> I just don't know what those Maybe answers are. Maybe I'll just tell you right now. <laughs> um, but no, I think uh, I think I'm going to go back to the Epic of Gilgamesh episode um, and just like, what the hell was going on there? Just just generally, because we don't have a great deal of information because it's just such ancient history. Mm. Um about you know what society was like and you know what context into which that story was created um so yeah i'd I'd love to know more about what was going on there because it's so fascinating to me yeah i think especially when once you get back into the ancient world like we we're working with so little and just to be able to go back and hang out for a day somewhere be like oh this is what their culture was like this is how they were understanding things would be such a game changer yeah, to actually, to answer yeah. not the question at all, but related content, um, I think recently when we spoke about Pompeii, um, mm. I found that episode really fascinating to be in because um, particularly the bits where we were talking about uh, the historical context of, like, kind of people's day-to-day lives and, like, the bits about graffiti and all that kind mm. of stuff, because I just feel like so much of the historical content we get, even about fairly recent history, focuses so much on nobility and about monarchs and, you know, mm. kind of just such a very small part of society that we just get this, like, incredibly warped perspective on what people's day-to-day lives was like. So, it was, yeah, I, I find that kind of stuff, like, that's the juice for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I second that. I'm one of those people who sees graffiti in the toilet and I'm like, oh, humans are just so human. <laughs> humans have been graffiti in toilets for thousands of years. Yeah. yeah I remember yeah. when I was at uni, I had this one lecture that was in a historic lecture theatre and there was, like, graffiti carved on the desk from 1913. Who knows? Lesbia herself could have carved that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 
Um, can I give a second answer to this question? I know that's cheating a bit because I've given a Yeah, go on. Um, I was just thinking about how we were talking about ancient history and, you know, actually understanding the daily life and the context of things. We just did our website on the Sacred Band of Thieves and I would just love to go back and just have a chat to someone about, like, how, how does this gay army work? Like, we chatted in the episode about the logistics of, you know, if your gay <laughs> army, as the Sacred Band of Thieves apparently was, is made up of 150 couples, what happens when you break up? What happens if you find yourself interested in someone else? Do you have to be monogamous? What if there's three of you? You know, all these important questions. Just love to go back and, you know, figure that out. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, should we move on to another question? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I've got oh. one over here. Okay. Okay, Ari. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, it is my turn. It okay. is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and my question is from Clover Harun on Tumblr. And it says, I wonder if you've ever felt like you have to sort of compensate for your queerness academically. And if you have, were there some things that helped you with overcoming that? Ooh, that's a good question. I like that one. Um, I think it does come up in the podcast sometimes. And I think we just try to be as upfront about it as we can. But I'm not going to say we're compensating for our queerness, but it's we have to acknowledge our queerness i'm not talking academically here i'm talking in the podcast which is academic adjacent but like you know sometimes we'll say things and just be like you know i really want this person to be queer because i'm queer and i want to connect with that and like i think we're not compensating for our queerness but we are acknowledging our queerness and acknowledge that it's acknowledging that it does make us a bit biased as historians (laughs) um and like academically I haven't felt I've had to compensate for my queerness but I have similarly felt for both positive and negative reasons I think that I have to acknowledge it like I wrote a thesis about queer representation in museums and I included a section there where I basically just laid out hey this is who I am I'm a cis queer woman this is my experience so people reading it wouldn't be like oh, well, is she just saying this because she's queer or be like, does she have a right to talk about this? Is she just some random straight person? So, yeah, I think it's less about compensating and more about just being like, yep, I'm queer. This is how it affects my work. I'm open about it. Do with that what you will. Hmm. I think, yeah, I feel less like I'm compensating for myself. I don't know that I've ever run into a situation like academically where I feel like I have to sort of fight for my right to be queer in that space. But I do think that I take some effort to like establish concrete evidence of this person's queerness or relevance to queer people that I don't think that straight scholars go to. You know, you're always working with that like straight, assumed straight, unless you can prove it mindset. Yeah, and I think we often have conversations where we're like, it doesn't matter if they had sex. That's not the point. That's not what we're here to prove. But at the same time, we keep having that conversation. We keep, if we talk about a queer relationship, for example, being like, did they have sex? Were they definitely queer? We can't know for sure, and that's not the point. Whereas, like, straight historians, if you read about, like, you know, a couple who wrote love letters to each other for 20 years and lived together... Straight historians never sit down and like, but were they actually having sex though? Because that's the real measure. So, yeah, I think we have to work harder in that way and have conversations that we shouldn't have to have. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel that, um, you know, like I feel like in my episodes, because I tend to be dealing with more modern uh, content, it's it's a little bit easier, especially in fiction where, you know, kind of the things that happen in the text happen in the text. Um, there can be subtext sometimes that's important, um, <laughs> but often it's fairly clear as to what happened. Um, but uh, I definitely feel that when I see the work that you guys do that, you know, I see how hard you all work to, you know, really provide as much clarity as possible um, and much more clarity than I feel, you know, straight historians and kind of go to. Uh, much more, you go to much greater lengths, I feel, uh, generally, to, you know, really drill down into, okay, is this relation, like, what is this relationship? What is the nature of it? Um, so, you know, I, like, I feel to some extent that you'll, uh, kind of, you know, to, so even if it's subconscious kind of compensate, having to compensate mm. for queerness. Um, but, uh, you know, like, I, I guess, I guess when it's like, were there some things that helped you with overcoming it? You know, if I look at the three of you, it's just like working really hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I've got that second half of the question. Were there some things that helped you with overcoming it? I guess I answered it in saying, like, just be honest about it. Be, mm. be up front and say, you know, I'm queer and this is why I do the work I do. Or say, straight academics say X, Y, and Z. And this is because straight academia has these flaws, these mm. flaws being laziness about sex and gender. And then, yeah, just, just call it out and acknowledge what's going on. I think that would be my, my biggest tip. I think yeah. that. And when I'm talking about that kind of like feeling you have to prove your case to an imaginary straight academic in your head. Mm. Um, and I forget which one of us said it first for which episode, but it was one of those episodes where we couldn't come up with any concrete proof that this person's gender was non-normative or whatever. Um, and one of us said, I don't necessarily know that it's important for us to prove one way or the other from, you know, from this perspective, what's important mm. about this person is that they're significant to a queer community. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think and that's I think, what really helps. Yeah, for me, thinking about it as like you don't have to prove someone's queer to prove that they have value on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's something, and this is a little bit of a deviation from what we're saying, but I think that's something that, I know we've said, and I think particularly Eli says a lot, once we, you get into those debates about proving particularly what type of queer someone was, like we get those conversations sometimes about people who might have been trans women or might have been gay men who like to dress in dresses and we don't know. And sometimes you feel, and I think society at the moment is very focused on labels, you feel that compulsion to prove. And it's like we don't have to prove. We can say, hey, these people are important to these guys and they're important to these guys and these are the reasons. And we don't have to put them in a box. Yeah, I think it is. It's sort of good to know that it's. Um, I've lost my train of thought immediately because somebody posted a message in the chat. Yeah, I think that's that's very important that you don't necessarily have to understand someone's queerness in modern terms. Yeah. To mm. consider their life relevant to a modern queer experience. Uh, don't worry, Alex. That was a good comment. Thank you, sorry, Alex. Alex we said, love I really. 
Alex said, I really appreciate that you guys say a lot that assuming someone is cis or straight is not a neutral assumption. Mm, um, mm. Which, thanks, Alex. That is a very good comment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a question that we got asked in many variations by many people, so it's obviously something people are very keen for us to answer. Um, and the question is, I'm going to read the longest version of it that we got to you know, give us a lot to talk about. From Alex Spencer on Patreon. Oh, hi, Alex. I love is Alex. Is it the same Alex? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, love Alex that's, Spencer. That's, oh, wait, yeah. is Alex the one who sends us recipes? I think so. Alex is the one on Twitter. Oh, oh it's no, you. This is the hey, Alex. Alex. Hello, Alex. <laughs> we got your letter the other day. We're going to bake butter tarts. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Alex has asked... Do you each have a dream episode that maybe you haven't gotten around to yet or there's just not enough information on it that's accessible or just doesn't exist at all? A topic that given unlimited time, resources and, or access to a time machine, you just love to bring out an episode on. Ooh, okay. So a lot of this question is not super relevant to me in terms of like just not enough information on or that kind of stuff. But I I think there is a dream episode that I want to bring out at some point. And, you know, maybe I I think probably next year might be the time for it, Um, (laughs) which is I want to do an episode on the matrix because the matrix is really (laughs) trans and like, it might end up being a more general episode about the Wachowskis and their sort of, um, filmography. Uh, it might end up being about like a triptych talking about uh, the Matrix, Bound, and V for Vendetta. I don't really know, but I want to do that episode at some point because I think it would be a lot of fun. Uh, it's kind of uh, you know fairly recent queer history, <laughs> um, but like I think the Matrix is old enough that it can count. It's old, yeah, the... very iconic. Like we know that in fifty years they're still going to be talking about the Matrix. Yeah. Um... So, you know, I think that's that's definitely one that I'm really, really keen to do at some point. But mm. it might have to wait for Matrix 4 to come out, I think, will will be uh, when I would maybe do it. I did not know Matrix 4 was coming out, so I've learned something to say. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, next year, and I was like, what's happening next year? So that's cool. Hmm. Um, I have, I have an episode that, and you... Alice have probably heard about it before and I've never managed to put it together because it would be quite complicated to make, Mm. I think. And it's about the Chinese religious figure, Guan Yin, and Mm. the, like, historical, the Indian religious figure, Avalokitesvara, who are actually the same figure. And what happens throughout history is Avalokitesvara is a male bodhisattva and then as Sorry, what's the, the bodhisattva? Oh, sorry. Like <laughs> a... <laughs> but I just, don't just think of it as like a sort of a spiritual figure. Okay. A sort of semi-mythological spiritual figure yep. for our purposes here. Um, and as the like figure and the myth around them moved to China, Avalokitesvara became this female goddess of mercy who is associated with like the Virgin Mary for Christian Chinese people to give you a kind of idea in terms you'll understand of like where where Guan Yin sits and for a lot of like genderqueer people around those cultures 
it's a very they're a very important figure but it's very hard to kind of figure out how to do that episode because there's nothing tangible in their life that makes them queer mm-hmm. it's just that they've been kind of queered by the people who came after them oh yeah okay that sounds like a very interesting one. and also very interesting because it spans across like different countries and different cultures and I assume like a long time as well. There would yeah. be a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Yeah, um, and so I just, it's this episode I've always wanted to do ever since it was literally in one of my like first undergrad lectures. The lecturer mentioned Guan Yin and I was like, oh, that's interesting. How did that happen? I think I remember, did you, you put that in our schedule one year and you worked on it and then you were like, did. oh no, oh no, it's too big, too big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is that is exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I still I still do want to do it, but I don't think that I I don't still just don't really know how to approach it. Yep. Um, I'm going to answer for me, and then I'm going to answer for Eli because I know he had an answer that he wanted to give to this question, and he is still in bed. Good for him. Um, <laughs> we're very happy to be here. It's just early in the morning. The sun has been rising while we've been recording. Oh, it was dark when we started and it's light now. Um, so my answer is, as you know, someone whose focus in my history degree was ancient Rome, I would really like to do an episode on women's sexuality in ancient Rome. I think anyone who studied any period of history, but especially the ancient world, knows about that style of book that has, you know, called Sexuality in XYZ Time and it has 10 chapters on men and then it has either one chapter on women or this little note in the preface that says, you know, this book says sexuality on the cover but it's actually about men's sexuality. There really needs to be more work done on women's sexuality but I'm not going to do that. And then every scholar just continues to do that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I'd really like to do that and the more I've looked at men's sexuality in Rome, like when I did that episode generally on men's sexuality, in Rome and also recently when we did that episode on Pompeii and we found a love poetry, a love poem by a woman to a woman from Rome, the more I've realised that, like, there is enough content definitely to make an episode and, you know, to write a book if somebody felt like doing that. Um, Yeah, so I would really like to do that episode. And then on behalf of Eli, um, because he did want me to say this, I know that his dream episode or episodes, I think he's got two dreams, is to rather than just standalone episodes, do um, some series where we kind of look more broadly at a time or a place and gives us a lot more chance to discuss context and to discuss development over time. So I know he wants to talk about both um, kind of late 19th century and Weimar Republic Germany up until World War II, I guess, and do a series looking at various things that happened there and just how queer Germany was around those times, especially between the wars. Um, And then also I know he wants to do a similar series, similar only in that it's a series really, on Australian queer history and to look at how that's developed from pre-colonial times and queerness in um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures all the way up to what's happening today, the marriage referendum that we had to have a few years ago, and so on. And I think that's a huge amount of work, and we don't know if people want that content that in-depth, but that is what he is keen on doing. So that's my answer for him. So if you're in the chat, let us know if you listen to that, and I'll tell Eli to get on it. 
definitely had a few people send in and say they love the Australian content. Mm, mm. And even not and just some Australian, of them have been Australian and some of them are not in Australia and they're like, love to hear something about this. I know nothing about it. Yeah, and I guess because when we talk about Australian content, because it's our country, like we can bring just that general cultural background to those conversations. So mm. I guess that's why people like that. I hope I'm Emily says that they sound awesome, for the record. That's great. Thanks, oh, Emily. and Alex does oh, so too. does Alex. Great. Thanks, Alex. We'll tell Eli <laughs> and maybe he'll do them. <laughs> um, okay. So um, it's five to eight, so probably close to wrapping up. We can probably do one more or so because we did start a little late. Yeah, that's true. Um, should we do one more serious question and then yeah. uh, we've got one nonsense question I think that we should finish on. Yeah, that's okay. what I like. Um, <laughs> um, so... Um, oh, okay. I really like this question um, that is uh, from user... Hania writes things, so I think we've already had a question from, so... Uh, yeah. Good job to them for asking really good questions that make me want to ask them. Um, uh, if you could choose any person you've done an episode on to have a TV series or movie about them, uh, not including those who already have TV series or movies, who would it be? Oh, there's just so many options. There's just, like, too many options. I think so often, and we kind of may joke about it at this point, we do an episode, and during the episode we're kind of coming up with a movie and saying, oh, and this would be really good in the movie, and this person could do this. Like, I know when we're talking about Simon and Cody's life, and I think this is one example for me that would make a good movie, we were saying the people in his life, so many of the people in his life, like his mum and... um. I've forgotten his name, Tara Lakota, who's a major anti-apartheid and political figure in South Africa who he was in prison with, and um, another woman who didn't provide a name in her interview but who um, was a part of the first Pride Parade in South Africa but felt really uncomfortable about that and didn't think that was a good direction for them to move politically. All those people went through these really lovely arcs where through their relationship with Simon and through his work they were able to realise that you know, queer people should be accepted and they should be a really, like, integrated part of society and the new South African nation, as it were, like with the new South African constitution and everything, should really recognise queer people and incorporate them into South Africa moving forward. Um, and, yeah, just finding ones where people have those really surprisingly narrative lines <laughs> and, like, very uplifting and very, like, engaging stories, I think, would be the best for movies. So, yeah, my answer is Simon and Cordy, partly because of those narratives and also just because it's nice to have movies about people who aren't in America. Sorry, Americans, but you, you've had your time. Well, especially, you know, white Americans in cities. <laughs> you've had your time. <laughs> so that's my answer. We're getting silence here. <laughs> Uh, okay. I, okay. Well, I, I've got I've got an easy answer for this, um, All right, go on. Uh, which is definitely the Sacred Band of Thebes uh, oh, <laughs> from yeah. our recent episode. Mostly, like I love any kind of like uh, historical epic fantasy. You know, like obviously this isn't fantasy because it's real, but like you know <laughs> that kind of like 
you know, swords and sandals flicks. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love that. I love that stuff. Um, and this one sounds so amazing. The whole thing where there's, like, a small band of them initially and they, like, infiltrate Thebes to, like, free it from the tyranny of Sparta. Amazing. That's so <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> like, I can picture that action sequence and it's, it is fantastic. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, like, absolutely my answer, uh, you know. Uh, again, it's kind of like whatever um, history episode I've been pulled into most recently <laughs> is usually my answer um, because obviously any of my episodes, there's already a TV series or movie unless it's purely a book. But like, I mean, I guess actually an Epic of Gilgamesh movie would be really interesting. I don't know if I want to see that because that would probably be bad, but like it would be very interesting. <laughs> I mean, not there is an Epic of Gilgamesh movie. <laughs> I mean, there might be. There probably is somewhere. There probably is. There probably is. We just don't know it. Like, um, the fact that there's no copyright on the Epic of Gilgamesh means there must be... Someone has made this content. Yeah. 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 Um, I think I like your point about the Sacred Band of Thieves, Jason, because that would also be a movie that, like, it's very much going to be about gay people because apparently everyone in the Sacred Band of Thieves was in a male-male couple. But it's also not like a gay movie. That's just a Sword and Sandals movie. And it's nice to have gay movies that aren't about the struggle of being gay. They're just going to be gay and then they're going to, like, you know, fight some Spartans and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be a good movie. Fight some Spartans with the power of gay love. Yeah. I, like, it's I, a, I think a my... gay movie, but sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I think my favourite thing about that is that spoilers for the Sacred Band of Thebes episode, but the Sacred Band of Thebes is eventually destroyed by Philip of Macedon and no, no, specifically... No, no. Oh, sorry? I was going to say Alexander the Great, not just yeah, Philip of Macedon. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe I, I was getting there, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> and his son, Alexander the Great, notoriously pretty gay. So I just love that not only are the heroes of this story gay, but the eventual big villains also gay. Yeah, no straights allowed in this film. <laughs> Which is just fantastic. Um, anyway, Irene, do you have an answer for us? I don't know. While you've been talking, I've literally been scrolling throughout like episode list being like, oh, who <laughs> most needs a movie here? Because part of me kind of wants to say Kawashima Yoshiko, but mm. Oh That's yeah, definitely. Yeah, it would be a sad movie, and it would be. But like, also, Yoshiko's life was just so cool. Like in yeah, a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, obviously, yeah. Like you know, there was like as a movie that sounds very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that it would make a good movie, but it would be a sad movie. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think that brings us to the end of our serious questions. So we have one incredibly important question, I should say, to finish up on. Can um, I just jump in with one thing before we finish? Sure. Right. Shout out to Imaginarium Geographica who just emailed us so as not to spam the chat to tell us not only that they love an episode on Guan Yin, but also that there's a really good tea named after her. So uh, if we can find that, we should. There is it. a good tea named after Guan Yin, it's true. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> I have drunk that's... it before. It was good. Nice. Nice. I'll take a Norman's to. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Go on. I just wanted to read that out. 
No, no, that's that's delightful. Uh, so this question came into our email, uh, queerisfact.gmail.com, for anyone who wants to get in touch with us. Um, uh, it's from Elias, and it's a very important question. It says, if you were a cake, would you prefer to be eaten with a fork, a spoon, or by hand? I kind really... of skimmed our list of questions and I saw if you were a cake and I didn't read the whole question clearly. So I was expecting to uh, to have to say what kind of cake I was. <laughs> you can say that if you want to. Yeah, I mean, maybe that'll contextualise your answer about how you would like to be eaten. Like, you know, you can't really That's eat, true. for example, a cheesecake with your hands because it's too gooey. Mm. I mean, you can. It will just be messy. Yeah. Like researching <laughs> queer history is messy. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of a way to somehow answer this in a way that like ties it back into queer history, but I was really coming up blank. <laughs> I, I cannot, I cannot fail to notice that neither of you have yet answered the question. Well, I, personally, I don't want to rush into it. Personally, I generally like to eat cake with a fork, so I guess you know. Therefore, as a cake, I would be eaten with a fork because that's how I eat my cake. But mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think that gives you deep insight into my personality or anything, you know, fun. That's oh, I, I don't know. Cake with a fork. <laughs> I, I feel like that's a good insight into how maybe, you know, like you, you want people to be happy and that's what would make you happy. So. Yeah, it's like a do unto others kind, kind of approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being a cake. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's my answer. <laughs> okay. Irene? I feel that unless it's impossible, I will eat my cake with my hands. Okay, okay. So as like, a personality reader, you just want to dive in, get As long messy. as it's structured enough to hold in your hand, I will eat it with my hands. Um. Okay, okay. <laughs> and would you say that this similar attitude is reflected in your approach to queer history? You just want to dive in? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to make this on topic. <laughs> we did say we were answering a nonsense question. <laughs> yeah, it's okay, Alice. <laughs> Um, what about you, Jason? What's your answer? Oh, absolutely by hand. Just like dig straight into me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Alice is like, I don't know what to do with this new information about Jason. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to try to get any read on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you guys are great. I was, I was thinking you would also say, what kind of cake? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Kind of I forgot. Um, what kind of cake would I be? Definitely, like, oh, I'd specifically the big chocolate cake from Matilda. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah that's yeah, a good yeah. cake to be. Yeah, that's yeah. A good cake. I'd be that cake. I wonder if one of those, um, <laughs> one of those, like, um, hedgehog cakes with the teeth mm. lollies made of the mouth that just looks absolutely demonic. <laughs> <laughs> Google so hedgehog cake fail and you'll see what I'm talking about. That's what <laughs> I, at the moment, just have a very clear picture of like an apricot tart or something in my head. Ooh, that's delicious. I like that. I like that. Which is probably not a cake you eat with your hands. So it might have no. to be a fork. But I want you all to know that I'm thinking about apricots. Delicious. Delicious. <laughs> delicious. <laughs> You guys have been so much fun. Thank you all for joining us. Um, Any last words before we read the outro? Um, I just want to say thanks to everyone who tuned in today. It's been great to have you and especially to see some names that we recognize from, you know, 
our various social media and Patreon and those things. It's great to not see you in person, but see you a little bit more in person. And um, thank you very much. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of want to say the same thing in that it still surprises me every time someone interacts with me online and is like, "Hey, I love Queer as Fact. I've been listening to your voice for years," and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I guess you have. <laughs> um. Yeah, thank, thank you to everyone who came in. And, uh, yeah, please check out Queer as Fact. Uh, obviously, we are on Podbean. Uh, we're also on other podcast platforms. Um, and, yeah, you can check us out on our social media, as Alice said earlier. Um, we're Queer as Fact everywhere, so we're pretty easy to find. Just look for the rainbow queue. Um, I can't and... believe I've never said that catchy, uh, look for the rainbow queue before. Yeah, yeah. I just thought of it now. in marketing. <laughs> I love it. Look for the rainbow cue. You guys have been such a treat. Thank you everyone for joining us for this live stream, Queer as Fact Live, with Alice McInnes, Jason Best, and Irene McInnes. If you joined late or want to have another listen to these amazing podcasters or any of today's sessions, you can replay the program on the Storytelling Podcast Week channel. Storytelling Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see we also offer the ability to directly live stream from the app to your audience with Podbean Live, where podcasts come to life. For everyone listening, you can also join your own live you can also start your own live stream woo, for free on Podbean. And to get your first 30 days of hosting for free, use the code STORY. Thank you again to Irene McInnes, Jason Best, and Alice McInnes. Thank you all for joining us for the session, Queer as Fact, live. Stay tuned uh, for tomorrow's program with the Grammar Girl 15th anniversary live episode at 3 p.m. Eastern time, Rainbow Dads live episode at 4 p.m. Eastern time, and Patron of the Arts, the Fandom and Communities of Favorite Fiction, which is our panel on fandoms at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And make sure to check back every day for more phenomenal programming as we have panels, live episodes, and interviews throughout the weekend. We look forward to you joining us. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. Thank you. And now I'm going to go back to bed. Thank you, Norma. And Sounds Jorge good. And the audience. <laughs> Enjoy the weekend. Okay. Thanks, Thanks guys. Norma. Bye.